You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Good morning. Welcome to Kootenai Community Church Adult Sunday School. I got to tell you what a joy it is to be allowed to teach here and have people who are not spectators to the Word of God, but participants, students. It is such a delight. I know it's, it can always have the potential to be a challenging morning, but I, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Let's open in prayer. Father, it is your Word that brings life. It brings life eternal. And it is your Son who is the Word made flesh. And so as we study this morning and as we look into your Word, we look to you for illumination, for guidance, for encouragement, for comfort, for instruction, for reproof. All those things that only you can do with the blessed Word that changes our lives. So this morning as we look into it, we ask for your wisdom, we ask for your encouragement, and we just trust you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's been a while since I've been with you. We finished up chapter 8 a while back and started chapter 9. I think we were last March 31st, yes. So, and and for any of you who are worried, that we're really worried about, I'm going to get a haircut. I really am. It's, (laughs) I get into the wind and it about lifts me off the ground. So... I have not been able to get together with my barber for quite some time. My barber's my oldest daughter, and uh, it just hasn't been working out. But So there, for anybody that was uh, really concerned. <laughs> yes. I, I, I've, I threatened yesterday, I told my wife, I'm going to cut it. She said, no, don't you do that. <laughs> okay. Let's read chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. It's on page 1498. Chapter 9, 2 Corinthians. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren that our boasting about you may not be made empty, in this case that, that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Lest if any Macedonians come with me, and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, should be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one of you do just as he has purposed in his heart, and not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Now... He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase, the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us producing thanksgiving to God, which 
which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So we left off in early chapter 9 and Paul is encouraging the Corinthians that he sent someone to help them remember about their gift that they had promised. And uh, not that he was concerned they weren't going to give, but just that the you know, people get forgetful, they get, they get busy, they get behind, they aren't paying attention to the promises they made sometimes. And so he, was, he wanted to make sure that, uh, that the Corinthians would be ready so that they wouldn't be embarrassed, so that Paul wouldn't be embarrassed, and so that the Macedonians would know that the gift they were given was a genuine gift and it was really going to happen. Have you ever had somebody have to remind you of something other than your wife? And sometimes, weren't you just grateful that they did? I forgot about that. Now, I don't know how they would forget about this, but, but nevertheless, Paul understands human nature. And more importantly, the Holy Spirit, who was inspiring him to write these words, understood human nature. So we read through, we, we actually got through chapter 9, verse 5, verse 6, I believe. No, but verse 5, so I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. And the bountiful gift was, the word used here is a good saying or a wonderful gift, a blessing, and he uses it twice to remind the Corinthians of what they were doing. Imagine this is being read to you. I sent the brethren along to remind you of your bountiful gift. And there would have probably been many in the congregation who would have gone, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we were supposed to do that. And it would have been a blessing to them to be reminded. So then he says in verse 6, now, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let me get a, get a handle on where I am here. For just a moment. There we go. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. So sparingly comes from a Greek word that means, imagine that, sparingly. It means stingily. It's a, it's a, it's a root that means stingy and grabbing it to yourself. Hence, Paul's use of of, the, of the, the, the word about covetousness earlier. The imagery of agriculture is unmistakable and would especially connect with the, heater, the hearers in this era. It's not intuitive to someone who doesn't know, ergo city dwellers, that throwing a part of a plant into the ground will result in the production of much more than was thrown in the ground or placed properly into the ground. If you throw a piece of bread on the ground and wait a week, what happens? It becomes a sandwich? What's that? It, bad bread. It rots. 
And it's quite useless, isn't it? Other than to maybe coyotes. If you throw a piece of bread on the ground and wait a few days, it begins to rot and nothing good comes from it. Lay a piece of fruit on the ground or bury it in the ground and see what happens. Clothing, it'll rot. Leather shoes, you name it. If you place it on or in the ground and wait a period of time, it will become useless. In a similar and yet a bit different way, if one sparingly places seeds in the ground, they will reap a harvest, you will reap a harvest, that may have not been worth the effort of planting it in the first place. But if that same hand, that same person who is planting the seeds, broadcasts the seed in a bountiful manner, the resulting harvest will be well beyond what was planted, well beyond. This passage is not teaching that if one by verbal confession lays claim to riches by faith, they will become material wealthy. It, materially wealthy. It is not teaching that. It is clearly teaching when one reads it in context, about investing in the lives of others in a bountiful manner. Not getting, but giving. Not a getter, but a giver. The former idea makes men sovereign and obligates God to do as, their, as they command. God is their, if you will, cosmic bellhop, and that's blasphemy. This is unbelievably blasphemous and stupid. The latter idea takes the blessings that God has given to men and graces their hearts with the desire to give and results in a multiplied blessing to others. When you, in good conscience, by God's direction, cast seed, if you will, whatever it is, finances, time, help to others, God will bless that and you will reap a greater harvest than what you planted. To make this section say anything else is a gross misrepresentation. Eisegesis and just plain greed. Paul already spoke against that in verse 5 when he allowed that should covetousness come into this transaction, the entire operation would be destroyed. What does it say in verse 5? He said, so I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand for your previously planned, promised, bountiful gift, something that you're giving to somebody else, not something that you're getting, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift, a blessing, and not affected by covetousness. And it's remarkable to me that the very thing that can undo the blessing that we can be to others by sowing into their lives is prophesied, if you will, in verse 5, and that's what modern faith, healer, faith teachers do. Yellow brick. We, I used to call it yellow brick road Christianity. You know, if you just do this, God will bless you so much that you'll own a jet. Well, I do. I did. It's a 1,280th scale, but it's really cool. And if you throw it hard enough, it flies for about 30 feet. There's absolutely nothing wrong with planning and investing so that you reap the most bountiful harvest from your own hard-earned funds. Plan and execute. Don't be lazy. Don't just be a talker, but work hard. Stay directed in your work, and especially if you can... Do something that you're good at. Spread your investments around. There's safety in differentiating. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. <clears throat> For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. Do your good deeds at both ends of the day and in the middle if we were to 
take the context that is here in chapter, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians and apply it to these Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes. Psalm, Proverbs 20, 13, do not love sleep or you will become poor. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with food. Proverbs 14, 23, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Proverbs 28, 19, he who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty and plenty. And I could go on. There's plenty of information in the Old and in the New Testament that it's good to invest yourself and your funds and make the best use of them. But this is not teaching, this section is not teaching that if you do A, then God will bless B. It is saying that if you bless, if you sow deeply and heavily into the lives of others, God will bless that investment in the lives of others. And will you not be blessed as well? Of course you will, in an unbelievable way, far more effective way, far more wonderful way. This section of Scripture is teaching giving, not getting. And the false teachers twist it and teach that it is talking about name it, claim it. And that is false theology. It is false theology. Financial soundness notwithstanding, everyone who bears the name of Christ will be given the grace to be a giver at times throughout their lives. They will learn to scatter and see increase and find themselves blessed as well. They will find that their graciousness to others brings the Lord's blessing into their, the, the, the givees, the getters, the, the recipients, there we go, and the givers' lives. Not necessarily materially, and as a matter of fact, more importantly, far more importantly, spiritually. Proverbs 11, um, 24 and 25. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, covetousness, and it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 19.17 One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. Matthew Mar, excuse me, Matthew 10.41.42 He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives one of these to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink what I truly I say to you he shall not lose his reward. And Luke 14, 13 and 14. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Clearly, Scripture teaches giving. And not always will the blessing that is returned be material. It will be a blessing of the Lord. And it will be unmistakable. And so... Just as understanding the laws of the harvest is necessary for the farmer to cast the seed into the ground, expectantly and trustfully waiting for a bountiful production, so when one sows help into the lives of others, he must trust the timing and the sovereignty of God to multiply that harvest. The Lord will decide how best to multiply that harvest, when to multiply it, where to multiply it. Cast the seed, water it with prayer, and be available to help as more, more as you can. And now we will see how one must do that. All of us, all of this, must be done from a heart of love. And only the grace of the Holy Spirit can create that heart. 
and maintain that heart. There is no pretense here. This is all genuine and coming from a heart that God has changed as only he can. Charles Hodge, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, explains this this way. It is not the man who pretends to deny himself, to humble himself, or to seek the good of others rather than his own, while he acts from a regard to self, who is thus to be rewarded. It is only those who sincerely postpone themselves to others who shall be preferred before them. Or as the scripture says, the greatest will be those who are the least, who serve. He who serves will be the greatest in heaven. So again, this section is talking about giving, not getting. It's talking about blessing, not taking. It's talking about not necessarily material blessing. More often than not, not material blessing, but spiritual blessing. Any questions about verse 6? Comments? Jay. As a church? Well... If I were to wax political, the 51% have discovered that they can plunder the treasury and take from those who produce to fund whatever they want. It looks pretty stark. It looks pretty barren from a, um, a, humanist, a human perspective. But it's an opportunity for the church to show the way, to show the way that it's not about getting, it's about giving. And uh, one of the big... I don't want to get too far into this, but one of the big problems is the pietist movement of the late 1800s ended up, resulted in many, if not most, of the churches backing away and saying, let government take care of it. God never intended. Where, where in Scripture does it say, well, you pay your tithe to the Sanhedrin and they'll take care of the poor. They'll, they'll bind the guy up in the ditch. The, Samar the whole story of the Good Samaritan would be different. <laughs> it, it's individuals that God intends to take care of other individuals. And when we lose sight of that, we institutionalize neglect. And the neglect weighs heavily on the person who's being neglected and us if we're not doing the helping. It's a, it's a, it results in a barrenness of the soul. And so we, we abdicate our responsibility, our giving, our responsibility to take care of others to somebody else. Somebody else will do it. No, we are the somebody else. And so Jesus said, if you give a cup of water, not if you, I don't know how to word this, if you pay enough taxes that there's water in the treasury of Rome to bring water to the people who are, he, I mean, he, he's God. He knew how to write the New Testament. <laughs> he could have said that. He didn't. So to answer the question, it looks, it looks other than, those in the church who are truly serving God, it looks pretty stark, and it's going to get worse. There's going to come an end to the resources that have been paid into government, if not just because of administration, administrative losses, but mostly because of covetousness. And I would say that when we won't help, when the church won't help, it is because of covetousness. And that's an indictment of the people of God. So... I, that's a harsh answer. Does that answer your question unkindly and terribly? Okay. <laughs> we, it's, it's hard sometimes to, uh, to help others when sometimes you're at the end of your own resources. Just remember the, the Macedonians 
who out of their great poverty gave. We can do that. Sometimes it's hard, but we can do that. Verse 7, each one, here's the correct response, though, to the kind of giving that God is looking for. Here is the, the right direction, the, the blessed right direction. Each one must do as he has proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul again stresses the idea of voluntary giving from the individual. We're not to demand that others give. We are not to wait on government to give. Remember, government can only give what is taken from others. We are to from a purpose in our hearts that has overtaken us and given us by God's grace a desire to do good to someone who is in need, give. That is what we are to do. And that giving is not to be out of sadness, which is the translation of the words from which we get here grudgingly. Each one must do as he purposed in his heart, not sadly. Well, okay, I guess I have to. Not grudgingly. If one's giving them causes them internal sorrow, it's probably better not to give and work on getting one's heart right. They need to find out what it is that has made them so stingy and deal with it. This giving, the giving, is also not to be under compulsion. This word comes from the Greek, which means distress. It is the idea that one feels this must be done whether you want to do it or not. This could be from being driven to give by peer pressure, guilt, or any other emotional driver that is less than being delighted to give. And we see this with the modern televangelists. If you don't give to me, everybody's going to die. And, and I'll send you a sweaty handkerchief, and, and you can wrap it around your head and get, get the flu, probably, is what you'll get. But I'll leave that all alone. It's not to be under compulsion. The word comes from the Greek, which means distress, as I said, and it's the idea that you feel pressed to give. God loves, in a general sense, the entire world. In John chapter 3, verse 16, he's, we see that. He especially loves believers, John chapter 13, verse 1. But, and this is what it appears Paul is saying here, he has a special love for those who give to others cheerfully and delightedly. The word cheerful comes from a Greek word, which is where we get the word hilarious. It's a delight to God to see his people give. It blesses him, if you can, if you will. Not that the sovereign of the universe needs us to make him feel good. That is not what I'm talking about. But it's something that he has decided. He, he says, I love a cheerful giver. It blesses me. This is a joyous, thrilled believer who has been given an opportunity to invest in the life of someone else. And they take that opportunity with both hands, delightedly, happily, and unselfishly. And, and again, it might be your time. It might be your counsel. It could be money. It can be a number of things. God will direct you to give into the lives of others what they need, not what you think they need. So that, that involves relationship. That involves getting to know one another. That involves loving people, loving to be around people, loving to be with people. Any comments or questions about that? Verse 8, and God is able to make a bit of grace abound to you if he has to. Is God ever stingy with grace? God's never stingy with anything. But he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. This is not hyperbole. 
This is what the sovereign, universe, sovereign of the universe is capable, capable of. He can make every grace that's necessary for you or for me to do good available to us so that we will have everything we need to do anything abundantly that he calls for any good deed. He says in Ephesians chapter 2 that before the foundation of time, he purposed for all of us good works. And then he backed away and said, boy, I sure hope they get it done. No, not a chance. He is there to provide every sufficiency for every good deed he intended for us to do for others. Here Paul describes at least one of the main blessings that God will bestow on those who give to others. It is the ability to give more. God will make givers sufficient so that they, continue to, they can continue to give in a manner that delights them and delights him. God will make them sufficient. He blesses the recipient and, and does his work in bringing the poor the help they need. What God has promised, he is able to perform. And so if he promises that givers will be blessed with the sufficiency in everything so that they will have an abundance to do the good deeds he has foreordained from that, for them from the beginning of time, they will have what they need. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of recognizing that what he has promised, he will deliver on. If he's called you to give, if he's called me to give, he will provide it. He will make you sufficient. <clears throat> they will have everything and more. There will be abundance in their lives that they never anticipated. That abundance may be material, but that will not matter to the true believer. What will matter is the relationship with Christ and others that is deepened and blessed by becoming a giver and having, ha and having a heart that has been changed into a giving heart. <clears throat> Two givers True givers will not give to get. They will not give to get. If they get anything, it will be a fringe benefit and one that is not sought. If God has foreordained good deeds in the life of the believer, in that the believer has, in that the believer will have grace of the Holy Spirit to begin seeking to do the good deeds that God has planned for them and to find the good deeds that God has planned for them. God will supply their needs to do those things to do those good deeds. And then blessing upon blessing, though God has done it all, he saved you without your help. He provided you with everything you needed to do the things that he has foreordained for you to do without your help. And he has blessed the things that you have already done to help others. And you get the reward. But he did it. Is that fair? Well, we won't go there. It's what he says he's going to do. He's going to bless by giving you the reward for doing the deeds that he has planned for you from time immemorial. What an unbelievable God. Paul is trying to reassure the Corinthians that if they respond to the need in Jerusalem out of loving hearts, God will take care of them and he will take care of Jerusalem. Now, it's a given that God will always take care of believers no matter what, but this is a special disposition that he has for those who have taken upon themselves to give. Often what happens is the believer's heart is changed. What they used to think they needed no longer clouds their vision. If sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof, as the Savior said, regarding difficulties is deemed necessary, so sufficient unto the day is the blessing thereof, is to the satisfied believer who only needs Christ and enough to do the things that Christ has called them to do. Any questions about verse 8? Comments? 
Verse 9, as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. This is a quotation from Psalm 112, verse 9, and describes the work of a righteous man. He understands the scattering increases, and he gladly spends himself giving to the poor. God will cause his righteousness to endure forever. Psalm 112, 9 says it this way. He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. God will maintain the ability of a giver to give, to keep giving. The paradox of getting more by giving more is only validated in the life of a believer who is a cheerful giver. Yes, there will possibly, as I said, be material benefit. But again, this is secondary and is not what the believer has on his front burner. He is in great measure and very realistically doing the work of God in the world, taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. This does not absolve one of the responsibility to verify the ability of the one in need to be able to work with their hands and live a quiet life learning to be givers themselves. We, you don't give to scofflaws. You don't give to those who are leeches. You give to those who are qualified in their need. And there are plenty of those. But there are also plenty of those who will take advantage of you. God gave you a brain. We all need to use that. <laughs> this giving is the kind of giving that Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to partake of that leads one to, to understand unquestioningly that God will supply. The believers in Jerusalem would, be glad, would, would gladly work if they could if work was available. But at this time, they were just in great need. And so Paul was leading this charge where he was at in Macedonia, Achaia, Corinth, letting the believers know that there was truly great need. And so then they had to trust him that he had vetted this need, if you will. And there are those that we can trust when they make that claim. But he still does not compel them to give. He asks them to give. He names it not as a commandment. It is not a commandment. It's never a commandment. If, if you're commanded to give by somebody, boot them. If it's a suggestion, that's one thing. But if it's a command, we're to give out of our own heart, out of our own desire that God has awakened in us or have brought to us. <laughs> Any questions, comments about that? So verse 10. Now, I love how Paul... Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, that's you giving, and bread for food will supply, will, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Continuing with the agricultural anal analogy, Paul likens the giver to a sower. How many of you have actually planted a field? Okay. I've, I've planted not necessarily a field, it was with a, you pulled it behind a tractor, so I guess I did, but I didn't do it by hand. <laughs> but it's an amazing thing. There's just ground out there, and you drive across it with this big, long thing that's got these little things, augers, working in there, and, and you fill it every so often with seed, and then you come back through with fertilizer, and then by August, man, the hay's that tall. And it's, it's you know, it, it's, it's not a miracle. It's how God created things, but it's, it's remarkable. So he who supplied that seed will, will, will multiply your seed for sowing. So 
One who plants crops for the use of himself and others. This is what we're talking about. Paul likens us, when we're giving, to a sower. Someone who plants crops for the use of others and, and ourselves. God will increase, he says, on both ends. He will increase the seed supply to, to do so into the lives of others. And because of that distribution, God will also increase the harvest of righteousness, which means a kind of righteousness that comes from the recipients growing in Christ, and the giver themselves growing in Christ as well, becoming the righteousness of Christ. Now, we have his righteousness given to us at salvation, but it's living it out. It's living it out. Imagine <laughs> how many recipients of the gift of the Corinthians and others in Jerusalem will recognize the true depth of love that drove the gift to be given and then what they received from those people in Macedonia, Achaia, Corinth, thousands of miles away who were compelled by God in their own desire to give to Jerusalem. The Bible does teach that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and thus the cycle perpetuates itself. Givers bless needy receivers who in turn, as God graces them, become givers themselves who bless other needy receivers. And the increase of the harvest of your righteousness means that God will increase the giver's ability to do good by giving. Your harvest will be both a blessing in the lives of others and a strengthening of your relationship with Christ. And I think, too, a recognition of the sufficiency of Scripture and that what it has said is true. He who supplies the seed will multiply. So, verse 10, any comments about that? We're rolling right through this. Verse 11, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Paul uses the word all and everything and every several times in, verses, in verse 8 and verse 11. These are all translations of the same Greek word pas. In verse 8, he makes all grace abound to you, the givers. He gives the ability of the givers to have all sufficiency in everything to give. And here in this verse, the enrichment comes in everything for all, libera liberally, which is a translation of the Greek word which means sincerity, mental honesty, not self-seeking, liberality. It's a giving that is genuine, that isn't looking for something in return, that isn't looking for praises, accolades, their name in the paper, uh, or in the church bulletin even. <laughs> it is the polar opposite of the prosperity gospel preachers of today. This is someone who has no interest in enriching themselves, but rather has great interest in delighting the heart of God and of others by meeting their needs, as he is directed to do. It has nothing to do with getting and everything to do with giving. And the great wondrous result is not an enriched lifestyle, but thanksgiving to God. What does it say? Which through us, all of this giving, sowing, and blessing into the lives of the church in Jerusalem or wherever God moves you or I to give produces what? A mansion? Jets? Food? No. More important, it produces thanksgiving to God. It produces gratefulness to God, the giver of all things. <laughs> Liberality, singleness, simplicity, sincerity, mental honesty, not self-seeking, the virtue of one who is free from pretense and hypocrisy. The giving is real. It's delightful, and it's, it's uh, not seeking anything. 
verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Again, this was more than just a gift. Paul calls it a ministry of this service, which indicates that it was akin to an official dispatch from the churches in Achaia, and that it had the effect of actually meeting the needs of the Jerusalem church, the Jerusalem saints. Remember, the church is people. It met the needs of people in Jerusalem. Paul was the one who was blessed and tasked with ministering the service of the Corinthians to Jerusalem. But more important, and this word here means it superabounded in thanksgivings to God from others who saw this happening. Paul saw this as more important than the gift itself and the reception of the gift. What was more important to him was that Christians would praise and thank the Lord. This was far more important than the entire transaction, that God would be praised, blessed, and glorified. And that is more of the result, a more blessed result, than even starving people receiving their food, which is terribly important. But God was praised and blessed and glorified. It overflowed. That's a superabundance through thanksgiving, through many thanksgivings to God. There are those of us in here who have, have had unexpected things given to us and who God moved us to praise and thank him when we don't know who gave it to us. And that may or may not be revealed in eternity, but what was important at that time and still was the praise that God received because he saw fit to take care of you. He saw fit to take care of you in your time of need. Any questions about verse 12, 11 or 12? I kind of got carried away there. Verse 13. Because of the proof given in this ministry, by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel. That's a remarkable way of putting it. Of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. We've all heard the old saying, put your money where your mouth is. This was the Corinthians, a genuine Christian church, if much maligned because of the dis their, their difficulties and their problems that Paul had to deal with and all of the, the negative things that went on. There was still a much-loved a much church. And the participation in those things notwithstanding, Corinth was a byword. And for people outside that city, especially the Jews in Jerusalem, it was unbelievable that Christians could live there, much less come from there, can any good thing come out of Jerusalem? I mean, come out of Corinth, is what they were saying. Can any good thing come out of Corinth? <laughs> I put that word in their mouths, by the way. There is nothing quite like doing that tells the story of who someone is. The claim of the Corinthians to be Christians was proven to the naysayers by their obedience to their confession of the gospel of Christ. Have you confessed the gospel of Christ? Of course you have. What is it, how do other people know that? Well, I tell them all the time. I make their lives miserable with retailing it every, every three seconds I get. No, what happens is they see you obeying God. And they go, I don't know how they do that. Secretly, they're not going to tell you that. Maybe many of them won't. But that's what this is talking about. There's nothing quite like doing that tells a story of who someone is. The claim of the Corinthians was to be Christians was proven to the naysayers by their generous, by their obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ. They demonstrated their Christianity when they sent this generous gift to the needy 
Christians in Jerusalem. People they probably didn't know, Jews, they were Gentiles, people who had put them down for generations, who had called them dogs and felt that they were not even worthy of God, and they sent this willingly to Jerusalem. The word for proof is a Greek word from which we get the word document. They documented their Christianity by their confession, their gift to the Jerusalem church. They had likely never met any of these Christians in Jerusalem, and yet they sacrificed for, for them out of a love for Christ and out of obedience to the gospel. The word translated contribution is koinonia, a Greek word which, from which we get the idea of participation or communion. It, it has a number, it's a, it's, a, it's a rich word that is used in quite different ways in the New Testament. It's often translated economy as well. It comes from the same root. Uh, this is a beautiful opportunity that drew distant churches together in Christ, in the, and the contribution wasn't just to Jerusalem because it had an effect on everyone who learned of it, everyone who heard about it. Often it takes the acts of someone else in obedience to Christ, in obedience to the gospel, to show others just how desirable obedience to the gospel is. Yes, the word teaches it, and that is enough. But to see it in action adds strength and depth to just how wonderful obedience to the gospel is. When we see other people trusting Christ, obeying him, and being blessed in their lives, it's a confirmation of the word. Now, the word is true no matter what, but it's still, for us, it's a confirmation, and it's a blessing to see it happen. <laughs> this is most excellently... And, and it says that all who saw that glorified God. And this is most excellently described in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by the works. The Corinthians, the Macedonians, the Achaeans showed their faith to the world and to one another by their works, by giving. And God blessed it. And God was glorified, more importantly. I'll just end with verse 14, which is a really bad place to end because, no, I'll just leave, I'm going to leave two verses for the next time so that we have at least a little tail end of chapter 9. Be about the business of obedience to God when he calls you to give. But remember to preach the gospel as well. Remember to preach the gospel as well. It's really, really important that what we say lines up, though, with what we do. If what we say and what we do are two different things, one of us is a liar, either what we're saying or what we're doing. If we're preaching the correct gospel and we're doing the wrong things, then our, our works are a lie. If we preach the wrong gospel and we do the right things accidentally, then we have done a disservice to the word of God. Make sure we understand and communicate clearly the true gospel. That was a good good. Good way to finish this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you both for the gospel and for the ability to proclaim the gospel by our words as we study and understand it in Scripture and by our lives as we, by your grace and through your work, 
do the deeds that you have proclaimed and maintained for us from time eternity past. We look forward to doing more of that, but the most important thing we look forward to is glorifying you and pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ in the words of Scripture. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.